Hello, my dear friends. It brings me great joy to present to you the inaugural episode of the Jim Croft podcast. In this show, I delve into the fascinating intersection between entrepreneurship and creativity, building a bridge between the business and arts worlds. Many of us harbor immense potential within ourselves, but often struggle to find the guidance we need during pivotal moments in our journeys. By interviewing individuals who have navigated these critical crossroads, my aim is to share insightful stories that will inspire artists, freelancers, and anyone running a one-person business. With that in mind, I'm thrilled to kick off this series by introducing a very special guest, Karthik Pavada. Karthik, also known as KP, is the mastermind behind the Build in Public podcast, one of the most inspiring and relatable podcasts featuring business and tech titans. In due course, we'll delve into KP's journey. However, I'd like to begin with a personal reflection. In Berlin, where I live, the winters are long and cold, and this year I combated it by going for long runs after dark, immersing myself in the world of coders, hackers, and solopreneurs. It was during this time that I discovered the Build and Public podcast, which served as a wellspring of inspiration as I examined a world totally new to me. Then, through a series of fortuitous events, I found myself on a call with KP, who has since become both a mentor and a friend as I rejuvenate my path. It's for this reason I'm incredibly proud to introduce this special man to you, someone who in my eyes embodies the spirit of uplifting others, a win-win mentality, while also living a life committed to service. So if you're ready, let's dive in. And we're in, KP, how are you? I'm fantastic, Jim. How are you? I am feeling very blessed, sir. That's too kind. <laughs> well, I, I really am feeling very blessed, KP, because this is one of the strange things in life, is that you don't get used to often finding someone who you would call a mentor. And you have, at different points in your life, you have different people that come in at different points. And then sometimes someone comes into your life and just throws a different perspective on and, and you, you don't even sometimes recognize that there was this little something out in the world, this little missing piece, and it's hard to define. And mm. then somehow the tapestry of reality flips around and out comes KP. <laughs> <laughs> so I think feeling blessed is, is actually how I feel about it. And Would you say that the, the missing piece that you were sort of looking for would be building in public to an extent, the concept and the, the philosophy? Yes, I, well, to, to a degree, because, but the thing that interests me is that the building in public is an idea that without a shadow of a doubt resonates with me. It's also something I've been doing in my own way for a number of years. So for me, I would say it's more the inflection. It's like, why does a certain point person at a certain point become mm. someone that can start embodying an idea and for me that's a question of how why you choose to represent something or it chooses you and so one of the mm -hmm. things that excites me about speaking to you today is to kind of dive into some of those hows and whys as I well i always believe it's like the ideology that chooses you you know it's like the wand that chooses the wizard you know mm -hmm. it's almost almost if you if you talk to almost anyone who's had a um i've been building in public for five years and i've been believing in living and embodying this philosophy for that much mm -hmm. time, 
and I've spoken to folks who've done this, some version of some ideology for 10, 20 years, they've always said it's, 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 it's usually an accidental serendipity, you know, something mm -hmm. that we should touch on definitely because, you know, mm -hmm. I talk about this in our fellowship a lot, like serendipity of the internet. And of course, I think our interaction, the way we both got to know each other and build this relationship, you're in Berlin now and I'm in Atlanta in the US and you never, you know, we're in the same room, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. physically, but being able to build a connection, you know, and this kind of con serendipity online, I think is so such a magical opportunity for us. But mm -hmm. yeah, I, I always think like the Harry Potter, you know, tongue in cheek reference, it's always the, the, the wand chooses the wizard. So the ideology will find you. Well, it is. And it's also, it's one of the things that's been a transformative thing in my life in recent, you know, well, I mean, particularly this year, but after sort of years being sort of focused on music and then film work is the way that words have come back into my life and recognizing language as a type or maybe as the sort of quintessential sort of superpower. And yeah. One of the things I really enjoy and why I'm excited to speak with you is that I, I feel like you have this sort of eloquence of the imagining of the idea and the way to put it across in a communicable way that not only makes it understandable, but actually has the capacity to inspire. And mm. for me, KP, like one of the things that I would now like, may, maybe my first question is, is to, I've, one of the things that interests me about you is that your capacity to give and to be inquisitive and to explore and to share and to be of service, it sort of walks before you. And then on the other hand, I piece together my sense of KP-ness as a result of how you're dispersed through this interaction. And I thought, what a wonderful thing it would be to go back into the origins of, of your story if you're open to do that. Yeah. Because you are often talking about, I think even on your Twitter bio, you know, and they've got this limited real estate there and it says, helping founders become great storytellers. Yeah. And I love that. And I love your imagining of story. And so I'm like, I'm like, where does it all start for KP? Who, you know, who is KP? Where is the, you know, where is this presence from? Yeah, it's a great question. Where does it start? Like, let me, let me cut the scene now to, you know, maybe in my childhood where it really began. I feel like a lot of the founders would agree that there's, they, they recognize early on, very early on in their childhood, that they have a sense, they have a bit of a sense of, I should, I should be this, you know? And so for me, I think I, I had the sense of intuition of that I want to be a founder, I want to be mm -hmm. an entrepreneur very early on. And, and to me, entrepreneurship and founding something were no different than creating positive change in the world. So I think I didn't technically know that I would start an LLC or a company and I would have staff and employees and those kind of things when I was like five and six. But I feel like I had a strong urge to do something positive in the world. And so like that was, I was, that was always there. And it's very, mm -hmm. it's like a very silent whisper. It was never a loud thunder or an echo everywhere. It was always a quiet back of the mind thing that I, I want, I'm meant to do something more. So this, I'm meant to do something more has been this theme. Like if I have to pick one phrase that took me from my 10s to 20s to 30s, it's this phrase, Jim. Mm -hmm. I'm meant to do something more. And I don't know what the more is. 
I don't know why I felt that way. So growing up, the first zero to zero to let's say first 14 years, I was in a small village in uh, South India where I grew up. I was born in um, this place like you can't even find it on Google Maps. It's like a remote, tiny village in South India. And eventually we moved to a slightly bigger town next next to that village. And, you know, I, I, I think I joked with you about like how I didn't even have a shower head, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. a, a bathroom and a shower head until I was like 14. You know, we didn't have mm -hmm. running water. You know, we would have, we would carry the pails of water from the, the nearby well. And we had like a hand pump, you know, if, if you've ever seen those. And mm -hmm. so a lot of my perspective was shaped, a lot of my form, um, identity and sort of, you know, perspective around, like, I'm very grateful as a person now. I think that comes from seeing that, you know, mm -hmm. living that. And I, I was able to find happiness and joy as a family, not just me, my grandma. I lived with my grandma from zero to 14 years and my mom and dad were hustling in the city 400 miles away from me. So I didn't get a lot of um, connection time with my mom and dad because they were, you know, low middle class and very, actually very close to poor class. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were hustling and they didn't have time to, you know, afford, you know, all the things you can afford in, in, the, in the big city. So they put us closer to our grandma, my, my, mm -hmm. my maternal side grandma, who I give a lot of credit for. She was a strong woman, relentless, strong, positive, and like hmm. can-do attitude, I think, comes from her. And um, so, yeah, that, that was my first 14 years. But as I was spending those 14 years there in that village, I knew in my heart, deep down, that I was meant for something more. Do you remember when you first heard that call? Like, could you place it or was it just a sense? I think it was mostly a sense, mm -hmm. particularly because I was constantly written off. I think because the sense was almost a rebellious voice against what was everyone's opinion of me because I was very introvertish as a kid, uh, which is surprising to a lot of my current friends and my <laughs> wife. My wife thinks that I can talk to a wall for 24 hours now. Which is <laughs> no, but I'm I the kind of guy who gets an Uber, talks to the driver, doesn't stop. Like, you know, like I'm like very social now. But then again, I understand, I, I can have a sense of it because you have a profound sense of humility. So I, yeah. I, can, I can see the link through that. Yeah. And I think for the first 14 years, like I said, because I couldn't use words, I, I not couldn't, I just didn't, I didn't feel comfortable, I think, to open up and talk about myself. I was mostly focused on other people and what they were doing. And so uh, I, had, I developed a lot of observational skills about people, like the people skills. But I was very introvertish. And so, and, and also I was in class as a student in, 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 the, uh, in the school. I was very forgettable. There was like, the class was an average, you know, this is India, right? Very mm -hmm. populous country. So the class was average of 85 people. And I was like, you know, maybe my rank in terms of academics was like 67 or something. Nobody cared. I was not a topper, quote unquote, mm -hmm. which is a, you know, blasphemy if you're an Indian person and not a topper in, in your classroom. Your parents uh -huh. generally don't, you know, offer you the most love. But my mom never cared. I think she was a significant influence in me, on me, you know, through those years, uh, even though she would come like every once in a while, not stay for too long. But her narrative around you are not what the grades are. You are not what the society thinks you are. You are what your calling is mm -hmm. and deep down. I think she sensed that in me very early. And even now, we I talk to her almost daily and I love her so much. Hmm. She's in Hyderabad, which is the bigger city later. Um, I think she 
sense that I was meant for more, but she didn't know what was that, nor did I. Mm-hmm. But so until 14, this is what was going on. I was mostly written off by all my friends, cousins, relatives as this shy kid. We don't know. Like my grandma asked her once, like, what do you think I should be when I grow up? And she said, I would be surprised you would be if you would be anything more than like a banker or something. And because she had very low ambitions for me and she was happy. She would be grateful if I had found a stable job mm-hmm. and made 200 bucks a month USD. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that would have been like her dream scenario. Mm-hmm. But at 14, the inflection point happened where my mom and dad brought all the family together into the big city, the Hyderabad um, city. And I got to be closer to my mom, spend time with her. And then really like her presence and her mindset rubbed off on me. She's very growth mindset, mm-hmm. mi- minded. You know, if you read the book, Carol Dweck, uh, The Mindset, I, sorry, I think it's called The Growth Mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so she quickly recognized that I was struggling with this introvert, extrovert situation. And I was like not really thriving in school. And and so she tried to f- make me focus more on my innate talents of what are you really passionate about? What feels like joy to you? What feels like fun to you? And she's a very positive reinforcement kind of personality, which is great because mm-hmm. I'm like that now. Mm-hmm. To you guys, mm-hmm. you know this in the fellowship. Mm-hmm. That worked wonders on me. And I went from a nobody forgettable person in the classroom to then becoming the topper of that school. By the time I graduated sort of the high school in India, I, I, I think I topped 16 schools in the, in the, in the system that we had. Oh, wow. And I had broke the school records and I did all these crazy things that I never thought I could do. You know, like I said, I was academically very challenged in a way initially. And the way I did it was because my mom never really made the target the goal. She never said, don't try to be like, don't, don't obsess over the destination. Focus on the journey. Mm-hmm. Focus on the joy that you get in and out of this. So there were actually smarter people around me who would come to me and be like, uh, they would see that I was studying well or I was like doing, I was like, I was number one on debates club. I was number one on, um, you know, trivia at the time. And I also did like, I remember like in my final, in high school, I also did a drama club and I was, I had the most, I had the most like positive reception from the crowd. And so the fear of public speaking, all of this broke, broke apart. Because somebody believed in me, which is in this case, my mom. And there was another teacher uh, who was my math teacher, who was also a misfit in his realm. Because other teachers wouldn't get along with him that well. And he was like, you know, he was an atypical person. And he took me under his wing. And he would also reinforce the same message. He would say, if you figure out what you love and have fun doing it for your own intrinsic motivation, intrinsic joy you will outpace, outcompete, outlast all of these people. Mm -hmm. Don't think Mm -hmm. about any competition. Don't think about the final destination. Just Mm -hmm. think about the journey. I think that was a huge inflection point because that pivoted me from there to being very open-minded, taking bold shots. So in in college, I was, again, very open. Like the whole, like this KP that I'm today, I think when I was maybe like 17, 18 is when I started becoming this. Mm -hmm. And... One more inflection point I want to touch on. Um, after college, I was 20 years old. I got my first job out of college. Still financially very 
challenged in the sense that it was a customer service kind of job and I was getting paid $250 a month. It was not the most fulfilling, but it was a stable job. And I was basically living the dream of all my sort of the village friends, right? Like I was, mm -hmm. I made it by their standards, but I signed into this company and I worked for eight months. And every day when I went to this company, there was 80,000 people and I felt there was a cog in the wheel, cog in the machine. That's when I all, again heard the voice of you're meant for more, mm -hmm. which made me take a very risky bet at that time, 20 years old, $250 per month salary, while I was still sending money to my parents, support my family. I took the GRE exam, wanted to do an MS master's program in America, and I hustled my ass off. I wrote 500 emails to professors at departments across the US universities, borrowed money from friends to pay uh -huh. for the US um, admission fee for the applications for the, for the universities, finally got a full ride, 100% scholarship at Vanderbilt in 2021 when I was 21 <laughs> years old. And they even gave me a job offer without seeing my face because of my hustle. And I got paid $1,100, Jim, mm -hmm. from 250 to 1150 or to 1100 and I got to be 100% like scholarship student in Nashville. And that was what brought me to America. And I think that changed my life. So off the, again, off the back of making a big bet and big bet. believing in that no, calling, no, whatever it was. I knew nobody in America, no family here, no, like, you know, no support mm -hmm. system as much. So again, like, I think I heeded to that call. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's this there's this pattern that I've noticed that I keep hearing, heeding to that inner voice, and it always comes through as a very silent whisper. So you have to be quiet and spend time with you yourself in a solitude situation to really understand that this is coming for you. Well, this is one of the things that I'd be so interested to dive in just a little bit later because one of the things that so my audience, as you know, which is mainly based on, on Instagram and on Facebook, and there's a lot of artists who follow my work and, and who I follow too. A lot of artists in the underground, a lot of artists also doing very well. But there's a very, the, so many people are struggling with the same problems. And I've, my sort of, long journey in the arts and of course you know this as well you you collect wisdom through those mm. years you know in yeah. those different kind of dark rooms and mm. coming across these challenges and then recognizing them in those of other people and one of the things i'd, I'd love to go into is that the challenge of the digital realm and but I don't want to quite get there yet, KP, because I just, I'm so interested in just contextualizing your journey, first of all, because for me, what I find interesting is that everything that I've come to know about you, first of all, through listening to the podcast, but then as I've been speaking and learning from you in, 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 the, in, in the Building Public Fellowship, in the cohort, has been about this sort of journey of or that journey of becoming who you are, I, I sense all of the, the imprint of all of it really early. And it, I find it very interesting that there's a transformation in there from the kid that was averaging at school and was unsure and shy and then something triggering. And one of the things I really love, and this relates to the, the question later with social media, but it's this question between 
being and doing. And what I love about what you said about your mother is she created a space within which you could grow and that the shy boy that, that no doubt had all that potential, but right. couldn't quite get to it. But it wasn't forced upon you. It sounds like it was encouraged and, 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 and uh, yeah, encouraged out of you. And I see you doing that with other people. So yes. special big up to your, to your mum because I mean, yes. what, what an amazing thing. And then I joke get, with her that I, I tell her that really my fellowship is kind of like me taking her lessons and what I was like the guinea pig of her mindset. Do you? Do you? That's right. lovely. Yeah. And I tell her, and I tell her, like, I just do 10% of what you did to me, you know, in this business context. And it's already reaping great rewards because mm -hmm. I've seen you thrive. I've seen so many founders and creators and artists come into our fellowship thrive because I feel like society doesn't give you that space. Right. And often, like, your mentors or people that you want to, you know, surround yourself with, often, because of the weight of their success, yep. you know, they don't allow that space, you know, in which you can nourish these hunches, you know, because great ideas come like hunches. They so never much, come like a certainty. I mean, so much so, KP, and I, I'm just interrupting because it resonates so deeply. And you said earlier, well, what was it, the building public thing that, that resonated with you? And I was like, no, it's the way at which you approach this much broader and wider idea because... You know, I one of the you know I come from the arts, and I've, yeah. I've become more and more interested in the arts. But one of the things that kind of turned me off about certain aspects, or maybe you know, certain thought leaders, or certain aspects of the business community, there's a lot of flexing, and there's a lot of kind of you know shouting about wins, and there's this kind yes. of there's a sort of this dehumanizing aspect to if you're not. In you you know why they do that though, but you know why they do that? They're insecure, right? Like I think that's another thing that I feel like we uh, unintentionally project out our insecurities as brags because we just want to quickly mm -hmm. establish that we deserve the wins. My, my thing is this, if you really, to me, the real winners are the ones who don't carry on their shoulders the, the bags of bags of trophies, their shoulders are light but their head is filled with wisdom. That is real victory. So if you just have success alone without wisdom, you're, mm -hmm. I feel like you're one dimensional personality. You need the wisdom along yeah. with success. Well, absolutely. But you're also like encourage people to play the game. And you know, one of the lovely things that you say on, on one of your podcasts is, you know, you celebrate the small wins and you're like, you know, I just put out a video I mean, this is a little while ago now, but it's like, you know, I got like, I know you've got this enormous following on Twitter, but you're like, I got to a hundred, uh, followers on YouTube and you celebrate that moment and it's very kind of in inclusive and and uh, but what I love is this aspect of you know you are you know you're not afraid to celebrate and you're not afraid to say but there's a very clear sense of the motivation and the why behind it the encouragement the mm. sense that by doing this you know sure you're talking about your journey but you're not dumping it on other people as a weight or a burden or a pressure yeah. whereas you know it's certain other aspects you go into it's like it's all about you can crush twitter if you follow right. this step and you can break it and you're going to dominate it and you know right. for me it's just it's such it's such a sort of language of an arc archaic sort of you know win at all costs and yes. also kind of male dominated sort of history and 
you know, right. I, I like the fact that the trope, like the tech bro trope, right? <laughs> well, you know, the, ex exactly. And and it, it, I mean, and this is the thing: is that one of the things that I've had to reconcile with is, you know, for some years I kind of got so turned off by the notion of ambition because I associated it with this mm. alpha maleism. And right. when, when I was growing up, I was always at loggerheads with alpha males. I didn't know yeah. why. I mean, I experienced some bullying quite younger. And then I got yeah. to a sort of certain point where, you know, I sort of, you know, but perhaps in that same way that you went through this sort of transformation at a certain point where you started expressing yourself and getting into that sort of, you know, deeper power of, of whoever the hell it is yeah. that you are and your, your living potential. And then at that point, the, the, the difficulty with alpha males became much more difficult because at the <laughs> point at which they're trying to bully you, you start standing up. And the thing is, yeah. when you stand up to an alpha male, they t it's like you said about the insecurity, they tend to frag men and to disorientate because they just yeah. do not know what to do when someone right. who is on the surface sort of you know, on the surface looks or should be weaker is drawing mm. from a different sort of type of power. So the thing that I just loved in about, you know, in everything in a way you do is that you, you know, it's with, you, you have the yin to the yang, you know, in the heart of one thing, there is always the seed in the other, but it doesn't, it doesn't disassociate from the capacity to be ambitious and to right. want more from your life. So right. I kind of feel like my, my sense of, Oh, I can celebrate being ambitious in a much more wholesome way and encourage other people. And it's not bad to be ambitious itself. And I know some of this sounds like madness, you know, if you're if you're coming from the business world, because you know, you have to be business. Of course, let, I've been yeah. Let me get this right. I mean, let me get this on the podcast. Maybe I can look back at this in the future in 20 years. I want to be a billionaire. <laughs> and I don't think I've ever said that. Uh, and I think the weird thing is I actually feel like I knew it. Mm-hmm. From a long time, maybe I didn't know the term billionaire. Mm -hmm. I don't. I didn't know the term ambitious. I didn't. You know. own the ambition. I own it completely. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I feel like the that is the you know Jay Z has this great song right right. I I, I joke about that with you all the time. But you know the, the song called God Did, and it's one of my favorite songs. Mm -hmm. And it's he talks about the highest elevation of the self. Lovely. And to me, that is no different. Like you know, being ambitious, being achieving a status like a billion dollars is sort of the highest elevation of the self. You're raising mm -hmm. your potential to be, to you're raising the, the manifestation of your potential mm -hmm. to manifest mm -hmm. into society as a billion dollars net worth. Mm -hmm. But really mm -hmm. the hack, as you know, many, many people know this is, is the, if you really want to be a billionaire, it's about how much impact can you create for the world. It's mm -hmm. usually 100x or 10x. So you're you've built something that's worth 10 billion dollars to the society in the world, or 100 billion dollars, and that ends up becoming the path in which mm -hmm. you become a billionaire. So mm -hmm. I feel like ambition, in its own self, is not a negative or a positive thing. It's about the carrier of the ambition, the person embodying mm. the ambition. You know, so I feel like B Buddha, before it was, before uh, he became uh, the, the the spiritual teacher that he became was insanely ambitious and he was the prince of the kingdom. So I think we all have that duality within us. You know, we have that wisdom side of ourselves and also we have the ambition the prince, the king side of us, you know, as well. And it's about balancing them and 
living life that sort of, you know, creates space for both of these to operate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in terms of, okay, so there's the journey to get to a billion, which is a lovely, (laughs) a lovely idea, but let's, let's just to complete. But here's the funny thing too. Let me also caveat that. If I spend every living day that I have on this planet and have fun, help others, find joy in the day, and ironically don't end up with a billion dollars and only end up with 875 million or 84 million or 8 million or 800K, it doesn't matter to me because the whole joy is in the journey. Yeah. The destination is just, it's kind of like, you know, a North Star. It's like, yeah, that is how much you can achieve, but it's not the driver. Well, you talk about on the cohort, it's like, would I be doing this if I wasn't going to get paid for it? And, you know, and that always comes across. Now, the fact is that you know that you're going to do it and you happen to be able to get paid. Well, that becomes a very nice. (laughs) Right. But I've done a lot of things that didn't end up that way. You know, I feel like that's where one of the things you have to explore a so lot. Let's, so let's go into that, the, KP. Let's go into that. And like, because this is the thing, one of your key foundations is the idea of service. Yes. And I, I just wonder if I ask you, so what, if I ask you, what, what is the nature of service and where does that, 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 that will to serve come from and what's its intention? How does that resonate in you? Yeah, it's a great question. I so I think one of the biggest transformational realizations I had came to me perhaps five six years ago, where until then I viewed um, business as some version of a transactional thing. I thought business was about you know offering someone you know give and take. Right. And the realization came to me where when I hit the rock bottom in 2017, because I started so I started a, you know, a SaaS company, a SaaS is like a software as a service um, platform. And for eight months I spent on building an MVP and I did like 70 or 80 customer discovery interviews. Eventually, all that time, energy, investment I, I think i i maxed out my savings i emptied my savings account got like put in 17k into this project eventually went nowhere got zero dollars in revenue and it, I, I hit rock bottom and i had so much self-doubt whether i would even be a good founder that was your own baby my own baby it was called mm-hmm. closing page i had to shut it down after eight months and i really had a lot of self-doubt because i thought the calling I still had the voice in my head that you are meant to be a founder. You are meant to, mm-hmm. you know, build build a company that serves people. But I, I definitely didn't. The reality didn't. The reality didn't match the calling. So mm-hmm. I felt uh, disillusioned, and I was like, "What is going on?" And all that in that chaos, I really realized that, that I was playing the game wrong. I was playing the game to win according to some bullshit metrics like revenue, Mm -hmm. leads, conversions, early customers. Yeah, they're important, but they're not everything. Mm -hmm. The realization, the turning point was me realizing that business was service Mm -hmm. in one sentence. Business 
was service. Business is service. And then when you view business as your vehicle to serve, you transcend the scoreboard. Mm -hmm. Then the digits on your bank account, the numbers on the screen are contextualized and find their rightful place in your narrative, in your head. And the place is, they're not the most important things. The most important things, you know, when you start a business or when you, um, you know, even for when you start a podcast, when you start a creative project, to me is about pursuing what you feel is your curiosity and doing it in a way where it serves other people. So the mm -hmm. key word is serves. Mm -hmm. And it means that more often than not, there may not be any ROI in the moment. So there were so many times where I realized where I, where I would do things where there's no ROI in the moment, but mm -hmm. there is J-O-Y, mm -hmm. joy. Mm -hmm. And when I followed that metric and I just did it publicly, did it boldly and kept going, money found me, revenue found me, all these other things found me because I was so serving people. Yeah. But also you have to be open to be paid. So you have to have an abundance mindset. You can't have a lack mindset, right? You can't. So if a sponsor comes knocking on your door or if a customer comes knocking on your door, says KP would love to have you on this project as a consultant, would love to, we can only afford to pay this much. You have to take it up. Mm -hmm. You cannot just say no to money, you know, and then think like, oh yeah, I'm just going to do service. Um, and then it's okay. No, you, it's not okay. You know, it's not good for your soul, not good for your health, not good for your mm -hmm. wealth, like mm -hmm. none of it, you know? So you have to do both. You have to think of it like service and pursue it like service and do it like service, but also be open to uh, abundance finding you. And in terms of that, let's just go back to that, that younger version of you at 2017. And, you know, the company's just, you know, it's, it, it's, it's flunked. You're at your bottom most point. You've come to America with those dreams of creating something. So much went right. And then suddenly, you're, I mean, it's, it's this sort of, I mean, it's almost like an archetypal journey because you've stepped out into the wild and you've had that spirit of adventure and you're going out and you're making your life and it's desperate and it's rugged and it's raw and it's real. But then you've set this, this baby up and it's, and it's broken down. So if you were to go back to that guy and what I'm really thinking about KP, if you're a founder who's just, you know, who's just hit a massive roadblock or an obstacle or is doubting their path, or for that matter, if you're an artist and you are just not knowing how to go on, what would be your approach? What would be your advice at this point to say to that person at this moment in time, who's in their rock bottom moment, is losing faith in the journey? What would, you know, what would be your advice spiritually and practically about where to take things reflecting on your journey and what's happened to you since? Yeah. I mean, I think my advice would be first really embrace and accept the reality. Mm -hmm. And like, because unless you embrace it and accept it, you're still fighting it and you're denying it. And the more you deny and fight it, I feel like the more frustrating and, um, you know, challenging it is to move on. Mm -hmm. So it took me, I think three, four months to really come to terms with that. What happened in that time, KP? I was mostly not social, mostly in 
silos and I was mostly kind of, you know, asking the big questions. I'm like, what am I meant for? You know, it's like, you know, answer me. What? I, I, but the, the, the weird, the weird dichotomy though, that I still had a baseline hope and optimism about my future. Like I mm-hmm. knew I was going to rise, you know, I had, I knew that I was going to rise, but I didn't know which path, what would be the lucky break, what would, you know, pick me out of this. Hmm. And I watched, I think to me, the biggest, I remember now, actually, I watched a ton of Tom Bilyeu's videos, Oprah's videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, I filled my head, basically I cleared my head. My head was filled with the negative narrative of failure and limiting beliefs and the darkness of that stage I was in. Which so many so, people struggle with struggle archetypally, with, daily. Archetypally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think the biggest cleansing I had to do was detox my brain, my mind, mm-hmm. of all of the tornado of thoughts, which is very, very difficult because that really determines mm-hmm. your action. Your thoughts determine your mm-hmm. action, course of action. So once I started clearing that up, it took me like three, four months. I listened to so many YouTube videos, um, watched videos, um, listened to a lot of podcasts and Basically, I think, I, you know, Oprah talks about this concept called uh, my cup runneth over. And then like you should sort of drink from someone's cup, which is running over. And I felt like she was a breath of fresh air. Lisa Nichols, another shout out. Um, a lot of these were like, quote unquote, inspirational, motivational speakers. Um, I think Tom Bilyeu was also a pretty big role because he interviewed some of the world's best experts. And so many of them referred to failure as the forge in which their next chapter was made, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I realized that this rock bottom is the dry land on which by next, you know, tiny, you know, what do you call it? Plant would grow. If I just decide to fertilize this with, with positive thoughts and hope and optimism mm-hmm. and like humility. And I think a lot of my humility comes from that period. I remember mm-hmm. what it feels like to fail. Mm-hmm. I had all the talents in the world and still failed. Right. So I never take anything for granted anymore. Every day, every every piece of success is only rented, never owned. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to go back and get it again next day, you know, go back and get get it, get it, you know, in the, in the market. So I think those three months were very, very important in terms of shifting gears and going from limiting beliefs and fearing failure and denying failure to right saying okay let's start a new chapter let's let's welcome the new dawn of whatever mm-hmm. would happen i also learned a valuable lesson about patience jim mm-hmm. and like humility and patience are i think very very closely connected mm-hmm. humble people are very patient usually and patient people are usually very humble i think mm-hmm. because i learned that i had nothing to lose i already lost and so I realized, why am I putting up artificial constructs on how long should it take for me to build an idea, to build a great company? Who cares? Who's keeping up with the scorecard? Certainly mm-hmm. my mom doesn't care, who's the mm-hmm. most important person at the time in my life. I'm like, so clearly who cares? Nobody cares. So I've realized to play the game of decades and not days. Mm-hmm. And I was very impatient until then. So I slowly built myself out of that pit by learning no-code tools. So I went from thinking these positive thoughts, like I said, and then realizing my weakness was I didn't know how to build. 
and I was dependent on software engineers. So I was like, mm -hmm. okay, well, how about I learn how to build basics using no-code tools? And then I started building no-code products and projects for fun. Mm -hmm. So again, the, I went from like the, the way out of the pit is usually filled with following your curiosity with mm -hmm. no ROI, doing it for fun with no heavy expectations. And I didn't have a grand plan. Mm -hmm. You know, I just thought, let me pick one step at a time. And so 17, 18 months later, I kept doing this over and over and over again. I built 4,000 people audience on Twitter, which is, I thought was bonkers because now I have 45,000 mm -hmm. and it feels like funny that I thought that was the biggest thing. But <laughs> those were like big numbers for me at the time. And I realized a lot of those people came because I was very vulnerable. I was very authentic and I was building in public. I was showing my scars. I was showing the way I'm failing. I was showing the tools I was using. I was very open book because I have nothing to lose. I already lost once. So that gave me the courage. And also from a business perspective, the brand of building in public. And I became the building public guy in 2020 after 18 months from 2018. And I never looked back since then. I feel like I'm on a hot streak now since 2020. Yeah. You know, and I'm really grateful for, for this place. Well, there's two things that really jump out at me there. And one is the necessity of the scars. It's like yeah. you you have to open the wound. And then it's then the question becomes, what happens to you once you get that wound? And, you know, I think this is one of the things because let's say with people feel a potential within them and they feel a talent and they're within the world and then they have an expectation because it's the most normal thing to dream or to think I'm going to do this. And the problem with reality is that it just doesn't budge sometimes <laughs> or, or rather it just pushes you in a direction that you had no idea of of what this is. And so suddenly you find yourself in this form of reality where it's like, okay, I don't know where I am, but I also don't know who I am within yeah. this reality. And it's in this, this, this space where it's like, you have different types of choices because well, the one thing you can guarantee regardless of where you go is that you go into the dark, you know, you go into yes. that abyss and into that dungeon, and then you have to contend with all the forces that come out. And it's like, well, where yeah. does the cynicism in the world, where does the darkness come from? Well, people make the choice, you know, sometimes and all too often to start throwing back the darkness of the fact that they feel completely disorientated into yeah. the world and they yeah. take it out on the world, which is you yeah. know, where the bullying comes from and where the yeah. altruism and the nonsense comes from. And what I love is that you took that scar and you took that sort of that pain and that doubt. And, you know, you are an Indian boy on a different continent who <laughs> has gone out building a life from nothing. And what did you choose to do with it? You chose to be vulnerable with it. It's just, I mean, I find it such, such a, such a beautiful, like, like story KP yeah. of, of, of the, the, the experience he had and what you've just, what you've discovered through it and what you're giving back to the world as a result of it through that capacity to be vulnerable. And the second thing that I, I really Thank love you. about Thank and, you, Jim. And, well, you're giving it back to, you know, you're giving it back to all of us through that you know and that's the remarkable thing because it's like i think we always we always have a choice of what we're going to do with our pain but the thing is when mm. it fucking hurts you it's very easy to get angry at the world and then that in that moment is i think certainly in my life it's your biggest challenge because you get drawn to the dark side if you like and but the other thing you talked about and i, I just this is for me so important because it's like that this idea and i i know it's one of the seven habits of building in public but this right. playing the long game, 
yes. thinking about decades. And what I love about that, KP, and maybe this is a natural extension to go a bit deeper into this idea of, of, of building in public, but what I love about the long game, just to sort of like go into one of them like immediately, it's like, well, artists are often struggling because we want something, we want the world to feed back to us. And that's, that's natural. Like we all get it. Sometimes you're just on your knees and you can't get the world to, you know, you, you can't get nothing from it. And so actually all you have day after day or week after week is how you contend like with that dark room. And the mm. thing is what you talk about this relationship of time. Okay. Patience, decades, playing the long game. For me, it's like, well, I, I just love how you talk about this mindset of, okay, my mindset is determined by time. It's yes. determined by, okay, being utterly in the now, but by a potential for the future and not right. being weighed down by the past. So just- I feel to like that, to be honest, that I noticed that is a very unique sort of concept or, or a perspective that I found um, to be very refreshing and unique and not talked about often among the circles that we were part of. You know, I think it's, we, we assume that maybe a lot of people have that, but they don't actually. 90% of the world is impatient mm -hmm. because we're living in the world with Uber Eats and DoorDash and- And the dopamine you know, hit. And, yeah, yeah exactly. dopamine hit and hit. And as a creator mm -hmm. or, or an artist, you have to perform on mediums that are filled with dopamine hits, like either Spotify or SoundCloud. Right. So you're surrounded by environments and instruments of dopamine hits in, yeah. in the now. However, you will lose if you accept that as an ideology or, or philosophy, as we just mm -hmm. talked about. It's almost counterintuitive where the person who will win is the one who is not obsessed about the now, yeah. is focused on the decades mm -hmm. but chooses to be present in the now in this podcast mm -hmm. the next the last 40 minutes i've been insanely present so mm -hmm. have you so we have this connection so mm -hmm. we have the spark so mm -hmm. it's energizing us yeah i'm curious i don't know what's coming out of your mouth in the next four <laughs> minutes and you're curious you have no clue where i'm gonna take this neither do that I, brother. makes this right but that makes this exciting and Absolutely. captivating and mm -hmm. riveting you know mm -hmm. So the being present, I think, is is one of the greatest gifts we can give to our guests and to ourselves mm -hmm. uh, to any in any moment. And, and however, the time frame mindset, like you said earlier, when you think in decades, like Jim, I think about this. Like if you ask me, you're in Berlin. We talked about, we joked about this a couple of times. If you asked me, KP, when are we gonna have the beer, man? Right? You promised the beer. So if I stretch, condense the time frame to four weeks. I don't know. I'm in Atlanta. I have a young kid. We have things going on here. You're traveling, you're touring. If you stretch it out to four months, maybe there's a good chance. Maybe mm -hmm. we may come down mm -hmm. to London. You know, maybe we can mm -hmm. meet somewhere in the middle. If you stretch it to four years, I bet mm -hmm. you there's a good chance that we will see each other in Europe somewhere or you in America. If you spread it out 14 years, mm -hmm. I promise you we both will be in first class. <laughs> I'm not joking. First class, flying to a favorite destination and having a great time, you know, touring the village, touring the locals or whatever, like, you know, doing mm -hmm. something fun. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so I think that the, the window, if you just stretch it out, yeah. sometimes when I get, I get jitters when I think, okay, what is my Q3 strategy, Q4 strategy? What are my results? What are my expectations? And I'm like, it gives me a lot of jitters and anxiety. But if I stretch it out and think, 10 years, 
in 10 years, I'm going to crush it. If yeah. you talk from the alpha yeah. male perspective, yeah. it's going to be anything you want to do will come to life in a span of 10, 20 years. You just have to accept and play that long-term mindset. But mm -hmm. also, I think a lot of people give up because they're not enjoying the nub. Yeah. So if you enjoy the nub, time just passes quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, and, and this is, if someone were to ask me about you and about the what you teach or, or represent, or but more importantly, like who you are, like I mean, this might sound abstract, but it's this capacity to marry presence with this sense of the future. And this is one of the things that I love about what you, the way that you teach about building in public, is that you are encouraged and energized to put that which you're going through or that you're trying to build or that you're experiencing out online and then to unattach to whatever it is or it's going to be. And it's not about giving less or caring less, but it's about, it's about like freeing it and then letting the world to decide and then you move on. And I mean, I've, I've experienced like practical, um, so much practical, practical help on this because you know you talk you you talk about it as shipping things right and, just and shipping I, it yeah just you know, ship and, it I, you know, and, the, and the, I just ship it and the, and the paradox is that people that follow me go oh wow you're, you're really consistent and how do you do it and you're shipping and the rest of it but the thing is for me it's like part of the thing that that is a a, a burden psychologically is that i i i am consistent but i care like, it's not that I care like too much, but I go to that sort of over the topness with everything right. I do. And the consequence- That's the artist, That's the artist well, in it, you. It, you well, know? It, it is, but it, it's like, but the thing is, is that like, it's also about having the capacity to separate between something that is content and yeah. that is, is not meant to last as the defining thing of your legacy. Yeah. Let's say if you're building a cost. Right. It's not a we, masterpiece. Yeah, well, you yeah, know, we talked I mean, well, about that, this. You know, well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, and and so you've got what I it's what I consider to be art, and I'm in the studio, I will, I will suffer to the end for. But I love this thing. And it's like even with my newsletter, because I, I always want to kind of consider them like middle masterpieces. But even just like talking with you, it's like, right, okay, I will always do like three reviews. I might be a bit more obsessive than 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 some people because I just love language too much to let it kind of go out <laughs> before I done it. but there's a big difference between like doing three reviews and doing five reviews but also it's not just that it's if you ship that stuff for and this is I just I'm saying this because I want to ask you about it but I just want to say the effect that you've had upon me is that it has freed the capacity for newness to come in yes. by not being weighed down by yesterday because yes. it's out and I'm so you're not, also you're not burnt out and also, you're not that's burnt the other out. thing, KP, because recently I've been getting, I've been, man, I'm thresholding because I'm trying to do too much different stuff. Too much, and I, right. And I realized one of the reasons that I've, I've found you, and I'm not talking about putting a meaning into everything, but when we look into our lives, there are reasons for things. I'm like, okay, you are helping me chill out a little bit. And, <laughs> to, and, and the way that you're doing that is by gravitating things in the capacity to have fun and remember the funny the joy. thing is I, oh, in, and I in, love in a that. way i think since we first connected which is three four months ago in mm -hmm. a way objectively as a consumer of your content and your newsletter and the ig reels and everything what i found watching your journey and it's been so gratifying for me jim is because is, is that 
I feel like you've chilled out a lot more. You, you've, <laughs> you've, uh, how do I put this? You've shipped more. Yeah. But also, surprisingly, burnt out less. Yeah. Oh, I'm coming back from the edge. Actually. Which is funny because usually, yeah. if you think about it, like when you ship a lot more. Yeah. And this we talk about this in the in the cohort. We're like, yeah. I almost encouraging and uh, almost like. Um, Harassing you to ship more, like do more tweets, do more. <laughs> but but the more doesn't necessarily have to feel like a drain, and that's the missing point. A lot of people think more equals burnout. Well, you know, I but, think, uh, yeah. I, I, forgive me for interrupting, because I'm just trying to stress what an impact you've had on me. Because also, <laughs> but it's also because one of the things I'm trying to do is to help artists, because I see that their pain point is you know it's this digital realm. It's like they hate having to produce content because their artistic spirit just rejects this temporariness of, of content, which I've mm. gone full, full circle with. But the thing is, is that, so I've been helping, uh, one of the ways that I'm, I'm, one of the things I'm founding, if you like, as you know, the, the, the business I'm creating is to really create a, 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 crea a content operating system for creatives. Right. Nice. Which is, um, you know, going to go out, but I've been beta testing on myself all year and I've got much more consistent, but then I started like you very, very acutely said, right, I'm, I'm beginning to burn myself out, even though I'm being ridiculously consistent, but it, it cannot be at the expense of yourself. And yes. so the thing that I'm so grateful that I'm taking from the build in public way is that I want to help artists, not just to put like, to, 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 produce stuff and to put it out and to make peace with the content realm and to seize the opportunity of the digital realm, but for it to also be joyous in this light way. And the, and the result that being on the cohort has had for me is that I have got, got into this space where I'm able to be productive, just like you said, but I am now not burning out with it. So I'm getting this wonderful consistency, yes. but, I'm being, but I'm, I'm getting this sense of liberty and that comes from the fun. And you stress that every day. A lot. But, you and know, you see, like, give me, let me give you an example, right? Since 2018, when I took my Twitter seriously, I made about over 35,000 tweets. Mm -hmm. I, in 2021, I started my podcast and I made over 62 episodes, as you know, about yeah. my Building Public podcast. Amazing consistency. Again. And I started last September my newsletter called KP's Column, and I made I just finished finished forty editions of it, mm -hmm. forty editions, which is crazy. And for the longest is time, that like I thought one, one a, week is it? One a week. It, one and a week, I thought yeah. I was so terrible at long form writing, which is a limiting belief. Mm -hmm. Anything that I think I'm a terrible, I'm terrible at. If my heart tells me to follow it, my reframe is, I'm not strong enough at X yet. I never allow myself to say. I'm not good at this, or I'm bad at this, or I'm terrible at this. The, the key word is Y-E-T, yet. Yet. I'm not strong enough at long-form writing yet. Because when you put that framing, mm -hmm. then suddenly you realize that it's a skill, like lifting weights, yeah. running, you know, swimming. A strong swimmer, was just a rookie swimmer, are no different people to the water. Mm -hmm. It's not that that person was a dolphin in the previous life and they you know, ended up being, It's just that they've had more reps in the water. Yeah. So then it becomes a question of strength, not a question of character. This is the problem. I think uh -huh. a lot of people, when they create content or when they start a podcast, they, they think, oh my God, I'm a terrible interviewer. No, they're not. <laughs> yeah. Or I'm a terrible long form yeah. writer. I'm a terrible short form. I'm a terrible videographer. I'm like, you know, it's mm -hmm. not a strength of your, it's not a question of your character, you know? 
it's just the strength of your repetitions and you you know you know music so if i came to you and said jim i want to learn guitar and in the first two minutes i get obviously will suck i'd say get a different teacher brother <laughs> <laughs> but i feel like i i you know the the framing the the framing that would work really well is if if i said i'm not strong enough at playing guitar yet mm -hmm. and then just put in the practice with joy mm -hmm. with the the you know intrinsic joy of being present for every lesson mm -hmm. and then playing if i spent a decade on a guitar of course i would crush it mm -hmm. so the pre the problem is nobody is giving themselves enough grace mm -hmm. who's keeping the clocks in the mm -hmm. in the in, on the on the sky i don't understand mm -hmm. why mm -hmm. why is jim upset that he hasn't cracked the code with ig reels in the last 18 months when kp doesn't even know when you began mm -hmm. So in my head, I was thinking maybe you began two months ago. Who knows? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so yeah. I think that's like the the biggest um, tragedy of our generation with artists and, and and entrepreneurs coming into content or marketing is that they think everybody's seeing or looking and observing and obsessing over their clock. Funny enough, nobody knows the clock. Mm -hmm, we don't mm -hmm. know when Gary V started. You know, he mm -hmm. started 14 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, fourteen years, man. Like, if you spent fourteen years on IG, I think you would be the king of your niche mm -hmm. or the, mm -hmm. the queen of the niche. If someone's listening, so it's, I think that's been the main thing is to give yourself a lot of grace. So when when I said this list of pieces of that that I've shipped, like thirty five thousand tweets, sixty two episodes of Twitter uh, podcast, I never felt like it was a heavy lift doing mm -hmm. any of these. I, I know this because I never I was never burnt out. Mm -hmm. I feel like a feather. Uh, and the system wonderful. is that the system is that I'm playing the decade game mm -hmm. and I don't need to rush. Mm -hmm. In a decade, I have so much window to fail, take rest, recharge, get up, do something, skip a week, skip two weeks. Mm -hmm. Who cares? Yeah. Right? But I come back. I think the other thing is people don't come back to it. Like you, the reason why a lot of people who were consistent once they get off the consistent track never come back, is because they were really not enjoying it in the first place, and they were really not doing it for themselves, for the joy in the first place. They were doing it as a, as a external reward thing. Uh, so, so, so it's it's about tapping into that why. And w one of the questions I have with with consistency is the it's a question of dilution because, mm. okay, so you are leading a cohort, a fellowship, you are an angel investor, you have a family, you are doing your newsletter, you are doing a podcast, you're an entrepreneur, you have an, ex you know, you, you, you tweet consistently, you have an enormous network and you have family in India. And, and in the family. last five years, Jim, I went to have dinner every day at 6.30 and I closed out my work mostly at seven o'clock that, that is, is the crazy so, part that is beautiful you know kp and i tell you what that will be one of my huge takeaways today and so thank you for sharing that because that is absolutely beautiful but the question i have and i was with, present for every single thing about my son mm -hmm. every single mm -hmm. thing is two and a half years old mm -hmm. i was present for every micro moment for him mm -hmm. so so my question it can is, be done i feel like most people are not you know leaning into it that think mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. it's impossible. No, it can be done. In 2023, mm -hmm. with the internet, mm -hmm. 
But the trade-offs, though, there were so many trade-offs. The trade-offs is that my podcast is not an in-studio Joe Rogan-style, Tim Ferriss-style podcast. it's about the message. Podcast. It's about the there meaning. There we go. So the, I encouraged you to do the same thing when you were asking me about the podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, KP, like, you know, what do you think about the virtual podcast versus in-studio? Sometimes I may not be able to reach out to some of the artists that I want yeah. to interview because they're overseas or whatever. And I'm like, who cares, Jim? Mm -hmm. People tune into podcasts for two reasons. One, mm -hmm. to learn something new, which can be done in person mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. virtually. Number two, to feel like they're part of an authentic conversation. Mm -hmm which is what the last 45 minutes has been for you and me. So, um, sorry, you had a question about sort of the balance of all these things. Yeah, well, I, I got two questions. So one is resistance and one is dilution. So just on the subject of podcasts. So well, I just want to say this very quickly, because like what you said about Gary Vee, and I know that he gave you this 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 sort of massive shot of your life. And maybe it'd be lovely if you just tell that story in yeah. a moment. But I just want to, I want okay. to say before you tell the story, like, no, uh, uh, yeah, I want to. I'll say it after the story. Let tell me the story because it's such, such a nice story. So the 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 thirty second recap of what happened was it was I think episode number five. Yeah, it's Actually, early, episode number right? four. Yeah, it's very early. So I started my podcast almost as a side hustle, just for fun as a hobby. Yeah, and I think the first four episodes I had uh, a bunch of you know founders and entrepreneurs in my network. So again, all of them I recruited them in public, but I took this to the whole new level when. I designed a, um, I crafted a, um, you know, a tweet, a public tweet, and um, included Gary V's Twitter handle in the tweet, um, and basically pitched myself, kind of like auditioned myself as yeah. a podcast host in public by giving him a very clear exit that he could say no, and that, yeah. that's fine. And the way I did that, I went many iterations on it. We talk about this in the in the sessions in mm -hmm. our fellowship, but I went through many iterations of this in my drafts, and then. Finally, just was scared, but I hit publish. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's see. Invited him to be on the show of a fledgling podcast of a nobody called KP at the time. And within 21 minutes, his whole community rallied. My fledgling, I don't know, 4,000 people rallied. And he said yes in 21 minutes. Oh, that's amazing. That, he was number five as a guest, and that changed the trajectory <laughs> of my podcast. <laughs> so I good. did the same thing later with uh, the co-founder of Reddit. Yep. Alexis Ohanian also, you know, who, who said yes. And so, you know, I feel like a lot of these were learning lessons that I was scared to do them, but I'm better off. Obviously, I'm much, much better off. The upside was so higher than the downside. Well, you know, so the thing was when we were talking about it during the fellowship and you, you know, and you broke down and you got your screenshot and you, you know, went through the four points and you call it shooting your shot. Shoot my and, shot. Yeah, and, shot. I, I, and I was like, I was like, I'm going to shoot my shot with KP right after this thing. <laughs> so I'm I, so, so I did, floored dude, by I, that. Yeah. I did. I, it was the first thing I did. And I, I put it out just because the thing was, is that, you know, like you've been an entry point in such a sort of like different world for me. And it was so, and you know, and you said yes. And I also gave you an hour. I said, look, I didn't expect it, but I just, I just wanted to say like, thank you so much for being my Gary V. <laughs> because no no because that is what you're doing over and over with these different people and, and this is mm. one of your things KP and I don't say this you know to, to flatter you but one of the things I feed from you most is you have more of a win-win mindset I think than yeah. anyone I met I don't get this <laughs> no no but I don't Thank get you. the sense that you are like secretly holding back because yeah. you want something you're like no no I, if I've got this knowledge and and I will put it out you know there. what the secret is Jim I met Madness. the future. 
No, no. I met my future self who is uh, 65 years old and he already told me that I'll be a billionaire. I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's this thing, this weird thing. We all think that, oh my God, like yeah. I have these four insights, five topics, eight mm-hmm. lessons, four nuggets that mm-hmm. I got to hide from the world. Yeah. Yeah. What? That's, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's dumb. You yeah. know, there's nothing. I think especially when you experience that kind of failure that I saw, when you realize that despite all your talents, despite all your intellect, mm-hmm. you could still fail. Yeah. I think your heart, my heart goes out, you know, um, for anybody who's experiencing any amount of struggle in anything. And I always think about what can I do to help them with no other yeah. why. Yeah. So the other thing I actually say, this is something that I make, I made a conscious choice, just like how playing the long game, this decades, not days has become my mantra. It's like, you know, it's in my, in my office. I have like different sayings in my office about those things. The other thing that's very, very close to my heart, and I know you saw this in the fellowship and I embody this and we come, it became a life mantra is something I, I call permissionless giving. Mm-hmm. Until a few years ago, I think I was a nice guy. Like I was a nice person to be around where, you know, I was trying to be polite. I was, you know, if you help me, I'll help you back. What's a win-win, all these things. At some point I had to draw a strong line and said, that's not enough from what I expect. That's not enough to be in this life. I want to be kind. Kind is different from nice. Nice is just pleasantries, politeness, but still I have to think about it. Do I have to help this person? What's my ROI? Where's my callback? All that. Kind genuinely means doing something that you would want somebody to, to do for you with no expectations mm-hmm. of returning mm-hmm. the favor. Mm-hmm. Zero. Mm-hmm. Because it's much easier to operate from a place of kindness than to be nice. Because nice has a scorecard. Scorecard. I have to think about, okay, when did Jim really reply to my email? Okay, did, did he really pay for that first thing? Whereas kind means I just do what I can in my mm-hmm. you know, realm to help Jim yep. and let him decide. Mm-hmm. And that's how we got you into the fellowship too, as you know, right? Mm-hmm. All of my sales are based on this philosophy that yep. I just give, 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 give. Yep. And I, I don't even have to ask. They just yep. want to give back. Yeah. You know, so. and, and I find that very interesting because so often nowadays in this modern world, every single action is instrumentalized in terms yeah. of that which I want. I will do this because I will get that. And yes, it's, it's and, and people have a sort of perception of themselves as as kind while hoarding so much of th- th- their talent. And it, I mean, I, it's such a strange mindset. I mean, it's like even when the arts, even when the arts, yeah. it's like I, I feel like within the arts there can be so much more community and um and 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 sort of energy between people even than there is of course there is community out there but i think one of the troubles is it's so damn hard within you know it whether you're a painter whether you're a photographer whether you are a musician it is you have to be so bloody minded and so Mm determined on your path because it is so damn competitive and it is so you know difficult and it's also not that kind of thing where it's simple proof of product because the thing is it's like you know let's say like like what lewis is doing with audio pen he's you know he's hit upon this lovely vibe where there's just this missing thing in the world and he's got it and good on him and it's fantastic of course it's not an auto guarantee for success but it's slightly different in the arts because you you know you get those 10 albums and well the worth of those 10 albums is kind of very 
similar on an objective level. They're all wonderful and beautiful, but one of them will make it. And, you know, the world is kind of like inherently, un, you know, kind of unfair. That's the beauty of it. And we have to work right. out how we are within it. But the dangerous consequence of it is that you can end up hoarding and not giving stuff over. And that's just one of the lovely things I love about, you know, being in contact with you because that sense of, of kindness walks before you as a way of being where you you get it and you feel it. And I, I don't know. I me, wonder though, I think actually I want to push back on that. And I'm maybe because again, I'm very new to the arts world. My only lens is just through you mm -hmm. and Charlie Puth. You know, so these are the only two people that I <laughs> so I mean what I'm curious though, Jim, is does that have to be true in 2023? Right? It Good may question. have been true for decades mm -hmm. in the, in the history of time right. with music and and yeah. art and the painting. But I I like to think of like one of the things I talk about is like you know there's only one of you in the world. Mm -hmm. So you are in the history of mankind. There is no other Jim Croft, just you, and there will never be another one like you, mm -hmm. which makes you already a unique proper commodity like unique valuable you know thing that nobody can replicate like my story that i shared earlier in the podcast mm -hmm. is so me that even if somebody came into my niche and did something mm -hmm. they wouldn't have the gravitas that i would have mm -hmm. so i wonder if you bring this to the art world and think about how much like yes the 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 merchandise i mean the transactional side of art is somebody buys your albums or somebody buys your tour tickets, or somebody buys your merch. But that's 2% of the whole audience who mm. will be those super fans. Sure. What can you do to the other 98% in terms of just giving it away? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can you just give away other parts of you? Can you just give away the process? Yep. Can you give away the lessons learned yep. when you made that album, when you crashed and burnt? Like right. all of that stuff. 100% KP, and that's, and that's one of the, the things that led me to build in public fellowship because yes. I realized yes. I realized I've got 20 years of knowledge inside me which you know I'm sort of giving away and you know with love and you know it, yes. like you said and and putting it out and then it's like okay but one of the things that I'm trying to figure out in my own life and I'm I'm beginning to build in public with this aspect of my life because it's very unusual if you're in the arts to start talking about okay the metrics of a newsletter oh I'm starting a business and I'm going to like be transparent about the sales that I make and this type of stuff because in the arts that's kind of like uncool or I mean I right. think they, they get it in in you know in 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 the hip-hop world you know they completely get it but in a lot of the other genres if you like it's kind of like you talk about the art and the lyrics and the meaning and the vibe mm. and the culture but it's not you know talking about thing and my kind of thing to artists is like look guys we have to figure out ways because if we're going to play the decade-long game we have to grow our bank accounts and we have to yeah. exist in the world and we have to uh, you know find ways so one of my sort of huge excitements is like okay I, right I, i'll just back pedal a tiny bit like a year ago i went off into the scottish highlands after the pandemic and i went off in my van i spent a, a winter there all on my own just looking inside myself and working out what the hell I was going to do in the next stage of my life. And one of the kind of key things that I came to was like, I'm either going to delete all social media and this whole <laughs> way that I'm in the digital world, or I'm going to embrace it. But what I'm not going to do is to exist in this, this gray zone between things where I'm half in and I'm half 
out. It's like, nice. there's got to be a commitment on some level. And one of the things that's really exciting me now is like, okay, is to recognize the, the opportunity in the digital economy, not as something that you have to go to, but recognizing it's already within you. This is the building public thing. And then yeah. to start sharing that in all its wonder, but then also to create some digital products that essentially aggregate what you're giving out for free to, right. to anyone who actually wants to buy them. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to like, you know, build in public, but also to create a, uh, a sustainable, you know, solopreneur business that is completely reflective of my artistic journey. And then of course, you know, I, I think that through that more people would also sort of, you know, find the artistic side and that right. they can start kind of like riffing off each other. But it's, but it's just this kind of like strange thing because a lot of artists, it's like, okay, album sales are horrible. It's really hard to, you know, uh, you know, I've, I've had a song that's had what, you know what nearly a million plays on spotify it's like the money is not worth looking at right. you have to, you, so the thing is you have to accept the world as it is and as it even, is. even if you have a relative success, success as as an artist you are not you know as a musician at least you know you are not just going to get it in the antiquated old fashioned way so you have right. to find new ways so this is the whole thing that's led me to so you so we're walking into we're walking into the digital era now. I mean, we're already in the hundred percent. And, and, you know, the funny thing is, is that I found that you. leads us to exploring and, and fully leveraging the digital economy at scale. Right. Right. And so there were two like things for me, like one thing is I found you through Justin Welsh. I was like, yeah, you know, I found Justin's work and I went, wow, I love how the pragmatism in how he goes about and, and his, the way that he managed to manages to extract value in a microscopic way, solving that one question he's answering mm. which, or that one question that he's, he's asking. And then he really properly answers it. And that led me through this kind of like trail of finding out more about Justin and his path. And then it led me to you. And then finding you was like, wow, I really relate with this because this is kind of what I'm doing, <laughs> but I'm trying to figure out what it is. What's this building public thing? And now at this point, it's like, okay. Well, my look, I think Jim, we talked about this at the, at the beginning of the a fellowship my combined goal with you for this year is to get you into the market with a digital product mm -hmm. it may not happen in the six week window because we're experiencing mm -hmm. the sessions and you're having fun and it's mm -hmm. okay sometimes you know it's okay to have fun like you know like you don't have to write no timeline <laughs> yeah, right? yeah it's what's who's who's counting the clock mm -hmm. here but by the end of the year, which is enough, I think, uh, leeway and the buffer for us, I feel like I would love to see you build, design, craft that mm -hmm. course, you know, accommodation yeah, thanks, videos. KP. By the way, which I'm also doing one. So we could awesome. be accountable to each other. Love it. And I'm happy to help you. Thank in, you. In the sense of business-wise, mm -hmm. so what are some things that people might be looking for yeah. and how do we sort of package it and so on and then put it out there. Mm -hmm. and have low expectations yeah. in the sense that you're doing this as a service. You want to have fun and you'll be surprised at how many people buy these things as a thank you. Well, you know, KP and the missing link of for me. All of your other Instagram content but, and everything but, but, that you've been putting value. And I feel that. And the crazy thing for me is that the missing link that I feel has been, okay, because I felt a bit awkward, kind of, I'm getting really into the solopreneur world and the bit, the, the building public thing. I'm like, okay, how is this mess, you know, meshing with, with the arts? And I'm going through this kind of like unifying experience. But the key mm. thing for me more recently has been about this idea of fun, because I was like, <laughs> wow, I'm going after so many things that I'm, 
diluting myself. And it's like, what, what I've really got out of this is to take this breath again, take, take yeah. this breath, you can carry on doing. It. And I just wanted to ask you like on this, when you're getting too diluted, because I, I love how consistent you are. When you're getting diluted, how, how do you stay consistent within that, that, that um, uh, a tapestry of different things that you're, that you're doing? Yeah, I the, think the I don't, maybe, maybe I don't view it as dilution. Jim, I think but that's... You, but you ever get to the point where it's like, man, I just do not have the time to research for this podcast because I've got to do the newsletter and I've, right. you know, I've got to see, you know, take the family so to you, the doctor. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think you're talking about maybe you're, you're talking about like stretching yourself too thin across all mm -hmm. these things. And so I've, I think that's actually a great point. And you're, you're right that, you know, when you look back at things retrospectively, it looks like a mountain of work, but I, if you really like watch carefully or followed, if you follow, if you followed me carefully, I've only always built more hills. Mm -hmm. Now looking back, they look like a mountain, you know? So there've <laughs> yeah. always been small mm -hmm. increments of things that I did. I never yeah. stretched myself too thin. Mm -hmm. I never went to a point where I felt like, man, I'm doing too much. In fact, so many people give me feedback saying like, you know, Jesse, uh, who's part of BIPF1, the first cohort, he, he would always call me KP. Like, it's like KP, it takes me, I don't know. He would say things like, it takes me like three weeks to write a newsletter. And you just in the, you know, how are you pumping out so much content, man? What is this, you know, fountain inside of you? And I'm like, I think, you know, I genuinely don't try to perfect it, Jim. Maybe mm -hmm. that's like one, you know, blessing that I have. I just mm -hmm. don't try to, I try to understand what am I emotionally trying to say in this piece? And I try to write in the way or create content in the way that it translates the emotion, not the packaging and, and production value. Mm -hmm. Because I always feel like in the long run, I can get better at the all the other aspects. And so my favorite people, also with the people that I draw inspiration from, play a role. Mm -hmm. I draw inspiration from Van Gogh, and Van Gogh did over 2,000 paintings in his lifetime. I'm mm -hmm. like, 2,000? You know, I'm sure every painting when he was doing, you know, he had fun with it, but I don't think if he thought that was the masterpiece, I think he would have been burnt out quickly. Mm -hmm, he didn't, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure he didn't care, yeah. you know? Yeah. He just kept doing it. And we look back and we're like, oh my God, the, the Standard Night is a masterpiece. And you can argue something else is a masterpiece. I'm sure he doesn't give a shit or didn't give a shit. So I think the, the hack is like playing along lightly. Mm -hmm. So the person who Lovely. is on the football field, you know, for the European listeners, who's the person who's on the football field, field who's having the most fun with his feet and playing lightly tends to score the more goals uh -huh. because he's not carrying the weight of the, sh you know, the expectations of what he should do or she should do. No, all of that is secondary. So I think I, any project that I take upon, I try to play it lightly. Mm -hmm. Like there's a sense of lightness. I feel this and I, and I, I don't know how I get it. And like, so you really asked the root of it. I don't know what it is. I just try to play it lightly. I think I have a lot of faith in the sense that in the, long scheme of things, this will get better. Mm -hmm. But today I got to ship this before I go collect my son from daycare. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm -hmm. literally don't have no choice, yeah. you know? And then I don't want, I'm very impatient in the sense of like, <laughs> I don't like to dwell about those things. Yep. So I'm both impatient about shipping, but I'm very patient about performance in the long run. So decades game, mm -hmm. you know, I think that helps. But yeah, I never, when I'm doing tweets, for example, there, there are weeks where for three weeks consistently I would put out 15 tweets a day, you know, for example. Mm -hmm. And if that is the velocity I'm going with, 
then the the number of podcasts per week might have to reduce to one as opposed to this week I'm doing two. Yeah. So I play with it. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I never mm-hmm. have a perfect 40 tweets a week for no. I play by the year about yeah. the velocity. Yeah, well, I'll tell you a secret, KP, and you'll, I think you'll like this. Is, so before our podcast, I was, I was like, ah, you know, even though like, I feel like I know you and your process so well, and even though I trust myself, I was resistant. I was like, no, I should delay it. I should know more. I should really, <laughs> I should have listened to every single that podcast. so... You know, and, and, and the thing was, and then I was like, and then I was like, you know, I know what KP would say to me. Yes. He'd say, press oh, record I, and trust press in record. life. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Gl- I'm glad you did it. Yeah. I'm so glad you did it. Because I, I think that that would have been, it, it, and for it many was, reasons. It wasn't so, that I wasn't researched either, KP. There we go. <laughs> so, you know, this, there's another thing here, uh, Jim. I think you'll realize this as you do a lot more podcast episodes. You know, you're in what, episode four or three? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, five, actually. You're my fifth. Five. Fifth. Okay. Good. I told you awesome. you're my Gary V. Thank you. Am I? Am I the? Also, am I the first virtual, or did you have one more? No, no you're the second virtual. Second yeah. virtual. Yeah. So, thank you. So, another thing you'll realize when you do 62 episodes, ironically, the most researched episodes for me meant less. I don't know why. Interesting. That no, but that's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like over preparing. Yeah. A particular song. If you do too much, if you just try to do too much, trying to over prepare prepare yeah. it in front of the audience, you forget that you're playing it for the sense of joy totally. and to build, keep them feel, make them feel connected. Yeah, yeah. you know. So sometimes my best episodes have been where I came with five minutes of prep, mm-hmm. and I have no shame about it. Mm-hmm. And I would say, actually, I wouldn't tell the guests, but I would just <laughs> open up because I think that would like debilitate them. But I would take that as a as a compliment. Yeah, but like, it's yeah also, that's awesome. Let's do improv. But it's, but it's this capacity for trust, isn't like, it? Yeah. Yeah, it's trust, but also great conversations, you know, are like improv, Jim. They're yeah. not like yeah. a Hollywood movie. Yeah. Where it's like pre-written, pre-scripted. That's why Chat GPT can never catch up with you and me, because mm-hmm. Chat GPT is trying to pump out what Hollywood's written 40 years ago or it's yeah. been like the tropes and shit like that. But being human is being unpredictable and being spontaneous, <laughs> yeah. opening up to serendipity, mm-hmm. you know? And I think when you do that, when you practice that, I'm sure you do this with, you know, like the great podcasts, by the way, to me are like the ones that feel like jazz, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, there's a flow, yeah. they're having fun. You can tell and it's relaxing and it's cool. Well, I've, I've hardly looked at the notes, KP. And, you know, and, and that's the thing, but, but what's so interesting is that even though I have the trust in you and the trust myself and, and the energy, what I find interesting that even though I feel I'm, you know, relatively advanced as far as it goes to winging things, because I've been winging right. stuff my whole life. For 20 years. I, right, still, yeah. I still feel that sense of resistance. And, mm. and so one of my questions- What, what does that mean? What is, what yeah, is well, resistance well, this is what I wanted to ask, This is what I wanted to ask you, because it's like, like what, you have this, this sense of presence and that's something that, that is a lifelong, for me, like presence is love. And for me, that's a huge yeah. area of my life that I always work on. But I, I was meaning like, are you at the point now in yourself where you don't, that you've gone through the point of resistance? Like, will you ever be coming up to a podcast and be going, oh, I'm just not feeling it today? Or are you no. just, yeah. no, <laughs> that's so awesome. No, yeah. I actually took, literally, I went to the loo two minutes before we started recording. I mean, before I jumped on this um, link and I, and I looked, I, I looked at the mirror and I said, 
oh, this is a big episode because I know you, I know you love me so much and I know you're going to put a lot of weight on this episode. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how do I make sure that I screw this up? I'm just kidding. I was like, <laughs> how do I make sure that I feel light? And I thought, mm. oh, if I, if I just poke fun at Jim, if I just have fun, <laughs> if there's some way that I could just turn this around and make this, yeah. ask him more questions yeah. than he does, like, because I'm the podcaster too. And I'm like, oh, that would be fun. If I can yeah. corner him and if I get, get him <laughs> to open up, right? Yeah. And so these, like, they just, I got, a, like, I got a, a fountain of such things. And I'm like, oh, that would be fun. Oh, that would be fun. That would be fun. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I'm, 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 I feel yeah. a sense of relief and I just join. So in resistance, you return to fun. Yeah. And, and I think of like, how do I lighten the load mm-hmm. of resistance? You know? Yeah. And I think it's a gift. Maybe, it, maybe it's, I'm like sort of humorizing it. Maybe I'm like, you know, sort of, um, making it less um, of an issue than for many others. But I I think this is also why I don't have public fear, Jim. And I really genuinely don't know why I don't have public fear, public (laughs) speaking fear. I seriously don't have it. And I've tried this at many, many levels. I Uh spoke to 40 people. I spoke to uh, 600 people at a college. I literally have no public speaking speaking fear. I don't know why. But I find that inspiring. The reason being, it's, it's just that like we all struggle with resistance in different ways. But I think that there is a state of mind where you go beyond the threshold of that resistance. And you, and for me, like the reason that you feel that is you've, you've, you've gone through that point and you've become something other, you know, and I don't Mm. mean to put it on a pedestal, but it's about, well, you have a mindset and I know it's that sort of like very, very quickly. And it's, and what, you know, I, I, I got, one of the, the little tiny tips that I got from you was about savvy calendar and, yes. you know, and I got it. And what I loved about that, it's like, okay, you knew exactly in your schedule. These <laughs> are the places where I am open to the world. And once this person puts that into the diary, I will be available to that. And that's yes. my commitment. And it was never a kind of what ifs or buts. And in the arts, we're always what, and what by if the way, buts. Yeah. By the way, there's an hour before an hour after that, there's usually nothing that mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm not letting anybody to book into that window. So yeah. I feel drained. Which is very clever. That's a great tip. That's a great tip. So look, KP, I know I've, I've, I've already got you longer than, than we agreed. So I just wanted to kind of like, it, it, do you have a few more minutes just before yes. we go just yes. to, to wrap, wrap yeah. things up? So look, sure. like, like if, like, I just want to kind of like see if we can compress your philosophy into a bundle and particularly to give it over to an artist, a creative, a painter, a writer, someone that's struggling. And particularly, let's just imagine that person for a minute. They know that they've got that potential. They know they've got their gift. They know they've got that fire and that flame, but they're really resistant to the digital world. They feel like they know they should be on it, but they don't want to be on it. And there's a kind of massive pain point there. And that's something that I'm trying to address. What would be your you know, can you give them a run through what building in public is? What is it that they could, should do? Just like give us a mini tutorial on the mindset of building in public. Well, that's a great prompt, uh, a mini tutorial on the mindset of building in public. I would say, you know, three, you know, distinct things. One, there is the artwork and then there's the art work right the artwork is the piece that you're working on so talk about it right you're creating a painting talk about it on twitter talk about it on instagram 
I think Instagram is better because it's a visual medium. So talk about it in the sense of like, I'm, I'm trying to create a cathedral when this painting, I, got, I was inspired, you know, in this, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, in this uh, visit that I had to Rome and, you know, I'm trying to build this thing. Here's my four inspirations. I'm trying to draw this day one, right? Day two, some progress. Day three, no, I didn't like what I did yesterday. Mm -hmm. Sketch it off. Day four, basically keeping those small set of 30, 40 people engaged and involved in the journey. Like you would, you would do your BFFs or best friends in a group text and let, let, let them, let, let the creation of the artwork unfold in public mm. on, on Instagram or whatever, because you'd be surprised that that is a lot more fascinating than suddenly showing up four months from the cave and pointing out, here's my final piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a million other artists can do something stunning, mm -hmm. but it takes a certain kind of brave heart to show the process in public, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? And a lot of the people who want to follow you, support you, want to understand your thought process, your mm -hmm. decision-making, how mm -hmm. you think about these things, what choices you made on, on, on the art. So that's the artwork, you know, one word. Yeah. Then there's the art space work. Talk mm -hmm. about that, you know? So you're, you're working and your work is, is, is uh, being an artist. What does it feel like to be an artist? Mm -hmm. You know, what are some of the tools of trade? You know, like for example, I talk about this, you know, in, in our sessions where I talk about as a podcaster, I use something called Anchor and then I use something called Riverside. Yeah. It's a platform, SaaS platform. And you use Zencaster. Most people don't know these things. Yeah. You know, so it's fascinating, you know, talk mm -hmm. about the tools of trade, talk about the challenge of, you know, being spontaneous, unscripted versus sometimes mm -hmm. you have to be scripted when you're doing mm -hmm. a commercial. <laughs> you can't yeah. go on a set and be like, you know, I'm just going to wing this Nike, mm -hmm. just pay me, right? Of course not. So how do you balance that as, as yeah. an artist? So I think the, the talking about that artwork, talking about artwork of, of the, the work you're creating, both of these two things are equally fascinating and valid and fun for other people to sort of, you know, be part of. So mm -hmm. that's number one is talk about these things. Number two is be human, be relatable, be real. You know, social media is not where, it's not a stage on which you have to come and perform. It's not a place to impress. It's a place to express, mm -hmm. in my view. So be human, you know? You don't have to play the part of this award-winning filmmaker. Mm -hmm. You can be a friend, mm -hmm. you know? And I bet, like you saw, when you saw my content, a lot of the times I didn't come to you or I didn't like, my tone is not of the tone of like, hey, here's all the trophies I won, right? Not at all. My tone is like, hey, hey man, you know, here's what I learned last week, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? Here's something fun, here's something new. So I think that be human, be relatable, number two. The third tip that I have about building in public is, you know, this is I think very, very underrated. And I, I saw you and a lot of other artists don't do this well, is that be prolific, not perfect. Every artist on the planet, I feel like, wants to project that they're perfect, yeah. that their work is perfect. But we all know we're not perfect. Mm -hmm. Why are you worried about yeah. someone judging you about imperfections? Actually, your imperfections make you interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but at the same time, you cannot tweet once in a decade or once in a blue moon and be like, I'm done for my year, right? Yeah. You have to be prolific mm -hmm. because the fact of the nature is that nature of the fact of this social media platforms being so ephemeral, they move quickly. 
Um, the algorithms move so fast and every day people are scrolling. You have to give a lot more sort of micro pieces of content, you know, yeah. of yourself right. onto the platform so that you, you stay top of mind mm-hmm. for your mm-hmm. consumers, you know? And so I think these are three pillars Lovely. that I would say constitute like sort of the ethos of billing in public. Beautiful KP. And so my, I've got two final questions. And one of them is, do you think that, okay, my sense is regarding the digital realm that, okay, we've been kind of experimented on. It's, it's grown up within our lifetimes and we're kind of like the first generation that's really kind of, it's happened while we've been adults. Of course, the next generation are actually growing up with it, but it's this kind of like massive experiment. When I look back at my resistance of a year ago, I think the resistance was, I, there was still part of me that didn't want it to be that way. I wanted just reality to matter. And I, I think I've come around to reconciling with the fact that the digital realm exists, there is an opportunity in there, and that moreover, it's, of course, there's always a, a choice, but it's like actually the smart thing is you've got to recognize that this is part of the game now, and we have to find our peace with it. Would you say that's a fair assessment or do you see a different type of way? Or do you think, no, we've just got to reconcile and get on with it? I, I think the earlier, the better, you know, yeah. in terms of reconciliation. And I also think it's, it's an archaic way of thinking that digital reality doesn't matter mm-hmm. or it's, it's secondary to the, the physical reality as we're seeing the launch of Apple Vision Pro, I feel like it's gonna be even more significantly important. You know, my son Neil is gonna grow up, you know, in a reality where I think primarily digital reality, he'll make his best friends online first. And then, you know, like the fact that Crazy, I, I joked yeah. about this a couple of times where if you and I were in the same town, we would have been best friends, Jim. Mm-hmm. I've said this a couple of times, right? Mm-hmm. And but the physical reality won't allow for that because mm-hmm. you're in Berlin and I, you know, I, I grew up in India and I now I'm in, in the US. But the online reality allows for that. Mm-hmm. The beauty with the online, the internet is you can filter the internet based on like-mindedness, values that you care about, alignment of values, alignment of energy. It's very, very hard to get four gyms in Atlanta or Buford where I am right now, you know. But it's I can imagine which happened happened already in the fellowship. We have about mm-hmm. 20 gyms in the fellowship. <laughs> They're all, you know, versions of you or versions of like, you know, yeah, yeah. like-minded, building public mm-hmm. believers. So great I think souls. Great souls. It's, yeah, great souls. But I feel like it's uh, it's inevitable um, to, to that, that, that is our reality. And and I think all the content we're, we're consuming is coming from somebody who's a human being. And so I think you have to recognize mm-hmm. that the songs you listen to, you don't ever meet the artists, you never, you don't get to ever thank them, but it's coming through the internet. You know, this, the paintings you, you check, check them out or the movies you watch. So digital reality, I don't think is a subset or, or a smaller prominent, you know, reality. I think it's blended now. I feel like we're at the point where you have to st- start leveraging both. That's the reconciliation. That's very yeah. interesting. It's neither nor. It's just part of yeah. one. Very nice, KP. Thank you it's for that. Blended. And right. so, so you can you've got an exit point for this last thing I was going to ask you. But if I was to say to you, KP, if you shut your eyes and I shut my eyes for a moment, 
and you would be able to just take a look into yourself and to give KP's message to the world at this point in time, would you be willing to do that? And if not, then nonetheless, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So... A message that's not building in public? Like, so, I think no, it's beyond no, 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 building in public? No, 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 simply just just wherever you're at. It can yeah. be building in public. It can be the way it's just IKP at this point in time. This is what yeah. I have to say. It's a great, I mean, it's a great time capsule question, actually. I, I love the question. The message to the world, huh? It's, it's, uh, again, it's like raising the expectations, right? But <laughs> I feel like if I had to say something that that's top of mind for me, and I've been thinking about lately is, you know, art and business to me are almost two sides of the same coin, you know, because art when done right is service to the world. Business when done right is service to the world. And that's why I'm very fascinated about the art world. And I love to like, you know, consume great art and appreciate great art. And and I, one thing that I'm very optimistic and curious to see is a lot more artists and creators coming into the digital business worlds like you, Jim, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I'm really welcoming that change and I'm really opening, um, the arm, opening my arms and like saying, guys, come on, come on in, you know, like, mm-hmm. come on, like rebels, this is the new rebellion, right? Like, and so I think that would be like one something that's top of mind is that how do we build the bridge between business and art worlds? And you do such a great job of this. And I, I, that's why I'm rooting for you and wishing that, you know, you launch the course and you launch not just one, a portfolio of courses, portfolio of offerings where people can, you know, better themselves and find, you know, answers to some of the burning questions they have. And so, yeah, I mean, that I think that's something that I would, from a, from a, a pragmatic perspective, but let me think of a spiritual message or maybe a bit of a non-businessy message. I, I think it's just, you know, do your best to follow your calling. And it's always a silent whisper. But when you hear it and when you have to do something, you know, give yourself permission to follow that calling. You know, I think that's that's the greatest fulfillment in life is is in that path where you're following your um, calling. So that's it. And why I love that you end with that, KP, is that you you end with the breath, with making the space, because you can't listen to that whisper unless you are quiet. And yeah. I I I I think of your mum. I think of your mum yeah. and, and the little boy coming from <laughs> india with a dream going over to the us and i just say thank you for all of this thank you and for all that you're giving and personally coming on the podcast giving me this opportunity to have this wonderful chat with you kp i had a blast jim thank you so much you're you know you're one of the most kind people that i've ever interfaced with so i appreciate you and i'm excited for this podcast and and you know for your you know, uh, creative projects this year. Got to work out how to get the damn thing online now, KP. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> All the cool. best, my friend. Thank you again, Thank KP. You. Have a lovely day. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye.